This morning, we do continue with our sermon series on the Gospel of Matthew. For those here in worship, uh, the scripture verse we'll be reading is printed on the front of your bulletin. It's Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13 through 17. Hear these words from Holy Scripture. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, John, consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, in whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Again, let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and by your Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, in your will discover peace, through Christ our Lord. Amen. So as the story goes, what we met last week was the person of John the Baptist. Remember, he's Jesus' cousin. And John's been uh, leading his own religious movement already. He's the guy who sort of loud and obnoxious and lives out in the wilderness, and he's yelling to anybody, anybody, in a big general way to the whole world, repent, right, repent. And the idea is that they would repent. And repent just really means turn around, right? It's all it means, just turn around. The good, the bad, the ugly, whether or not you've been doing something wrong or the world has been treating you wrong, whether you are guilty or you're angry or you're bitter, or even if all it is is that life is more or less good, but not good enough. John's yelling at all of them, repent, turn around, come. And then he'd come to the waters of the River Jordan, and he'd dunk you in the water, and you'd come back up. And the idea is that you made clean. You leave all the, all the rest of it behind. The actual idea is that you would die to your old self, old self, and you would start anew. Right? And who doesn't, the good, the bad, and the ugly of life, at some point want a new start? So John is got this religious movement going on when Jesus shows up, and it's Jesus himself who says to John, let me be baptized too, which in a, a bit of sort of biblical dramatic irony for a guy who's going, hey, leave the old world behind, start a new one, John goes, wait a second, I already know who you are, and you're more powerful than I. I'm the one, I've been saying, you're the one who's more powerful than I, he comes after me, I'm not where to wear his sandals. And John goes, no, Jesus, you should be the one baptizing me, not you. And then Jesus says, let all righteousness be fulfilled, which, whatever that means. We'll talk a little bit more about what that could mean a little bit, but this story, in a way, is 
uh, indicative of my favorite prayer. And you're maybe getting sick of hearing it by now because I've been using it ever since we did the gathering. Like two years ago, I started using it. It's from that Iona community. It's the prayer of intercession. It's part of what we'll do today again. But my favorite part of it goes like this. Forget the God you do not believe in and meet the God who believes in you. For those of us who come to church, who are here, the regulars, even those in pandemic who come to worship, it's still the same idea, even for you. You get to meet Jesus again for the first time. You get the new start. You get the idea of good, bad, or ugly. Even if life is good, it's still not good enough. So turn around, let the old world go, get a new start, forget the God you do not believe in. Because even when we are filled with good things, good ideas, stuff we've heard in sermons, stuff we've heard in Bible studies, stuff that has filled up our lives in our faith, just like Paul says, the transforming of your mind is always the Christian task. So letting your old ideas go to get a new start and you meet Jesus again for the first time, forget the God you do not believe in. It's also, and this is more for the online version than anyone sitting here, but the reason I love that prayer so much, forget the God you do not believe in, is because you know how many friends I've had, maybe your kids or your friends, your family, they've been so filled up themselves with the ideas of who God is, someone telling them who God is and what God wants from them, and then they go, you know what, that project's not for me. I don't fit in there. And that's, that's never true, because we are all children of God. And so that prayer that says, forget the God you don't believe in. You've been filled in with all these other versions of God. You could actually get rid of the ideas you have about God, and you could actually meet God. You could meet Jesus again on your own. And maybe that voice, those voices in the back of your head could be diminished. It's again, it's just a call of repentance, of getting a new start, letting the old go, because... It's never good enough to actually meet God. Repent, turn around, a new start. Forget the God you do not believe in. If you're wondering how you do that, because, come on, I've been a minister for 15 years. I've been going to church my whole life. You can tell me all over again many times, forget the God I don't believe in, but I'm still filled with memories and information. Actually, here's my advice. Here's the suggestion I have for you this morning. Figure out the difference between all the stuff you think you know and what you can't deny. You have any sense of the difference there? All the stuff you think you know from everything you've ever learned and the stuff you cannot deny. Figure out that space that exists right between the two. So, for example, this story is a good example of such a thing. What does it mean when Jesus says, I've come to be baptized because I'm here to fulfill all righteousness? Well, there's a bunch of stuff in that that I think I know. Here's the minister's answer on why he says that, right? Many sermons on this text, here's the things I've come up with over the years that sort of make sense. First of all, in a sense, it doesn't make sense because there is not a single Old Testament prophecy that is about fulfilling righteousness through baptism. John invented this thing. 
He is the baptizer. It did not exist before him. So when Jesus says fulfilling all righteousness, he is not looking back to some Old Testament text and saying, well, this fits in with our tradition. This is what the Messiah is supposed to do. But it does make sense on a couple of other levels. Um, historically, it makes sense. Remember that there's John the Baptist, and he has these big crowds showing up for repentance. Jesus is going to show up, and his religious movement is going to take from John's religious movement. He'll add to it with other people, but it really is a handoff between the two ministries. And what that meant in actual history was there was tension. Because while John is sort of this loud guy that yells repentance at the world, Jesus agrees with him, and yet he takes it in another direction, right? Whereas John is all about getting rid of the old world and it, it, you know, getting rid of your sin and dying to the old self, it can come across as kind of a great big life is bad kind of message. Jesus takes the idea of repentance, but then he opens it up back into kindness and generosity. And there's tension between the two. And we'll probably see that down the road, even with a couple other stories about John. There is tension between Jesus and John. They have a Incredible respect for each other, their family, they share a lot of ideas, but yet there's tension. And so, historically, the reason Matthew probably needed, felt the need to make sure we included this story where Jesus shows up and out of respect for John, gets himself baptized by John, is to show that these two groups are not fighting with each other, even when they disagree, right? Matthew needs to lay that down for history. For the followers of John and the followers of Jesus, you are not each other's enemies. There's one thing I think I know about why Jesus says, fulfill all righteousness. We are still together as a people. Another reason is the very churchy theological reason. And it's, it's over here. Because what do we do now as Christians? We baptize. We, get, we have babies and we come and we baptize them. And who do we get baptized into? Is it John? No, it's Jesus. So instead of baptizing into John, we baptize into Jesus, meaning Jesus needed to be part of baptism somehow. So just in a theological, churchy level, we need Jesus to be baptized so that we can baptize into him too. His death and resurrection, and in the waters of baptism, our death and resurrection become ours. Got that? Those are the things we think we know. Doesn't necessarily mean that's what Jesus meant by fulfilling all righteousness, but it's what we've tried to fill in the gaps with what we know. Forget that stuff. Forget it. Encounter God again anew, transforming of your mind, meet Jesus himself. Instead, what I suggest is while you forget that stuff, also then consider, though, what it is you cannot deny. Well, those ideas, those theological ideas, historical ideas, I, I can let those go. Here's what I can't deny in the midst of this story. I know that I'm about to meet a guy who will capture my imagination for the rest of my life. He's done it for 40 years, and he's going to do it for the rest of my life. This is a guy who from this moment, from when he says, I'm going to go and fulfill all righteousness, he will show up in the world and he will say things like, 
let the little children come to me. One of the things I think I know, we'll see if we get there again, and I still think I know it, but one of the things I think I know about Jesus saying, let the little children come to me, is, is not just that he likes kids, it's that he's saying, hey, look, kids, kids are vulnerable. Kids are the ones in our society that need taking care of. So let those who are vulnerable come to me. He will say things like that that will feel like what's in my own heart, that will make sense, that it will inspire me, that I'll be like, yes, I want to follow this guy because he gets it. He gets it. I cannot deny that he captures my imagination. This is the same guy, though, in the same gospel, who will say, let the little children come to me, and then the vulnerable come to me, and then there, one day there is a woman who shows up, and yeah, eventually we'll get to this story, a woman who is in need, who's sick, who needs healing, she comes to him, and she happens to not be Jewish, and when she asks for help, Jesus says, I wasn't sent here for you. I was sent here for the children of God. Why would I feed the food for the children of God to the dogs? Get that? Jesus just called anybody who's not Jewish a dog. That's not the moment when I necessarily am in love with Jesus. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm like, Who, what? You just told me to take care of the vulnerable, and then you're sending a woman away because she's not Jewish. And it makes me frustrated, and it makes me angry, but it does make me hooked. In the moments that I love Jesus and I feel inspired by him, in the moments when I don't get him, when the stuff he says does not make sense to me, in the moments when I would rather not follow because it's just too hard, I, what I cannot deny is that he has my imagination. He's had it for 40 years, and he's going to have it for the rest of my life. I will never be able to get away from him. Like him, sometimes feel like, well, I won't say hate, but frustrated with him. You know, Jesus says things like, forgive your enemies, which in practice in the real world is so much harder if you actually practice it. He says things like, you know what, you're a hypocrite. If you're trying to pluck the dust out of someone else's eye, but you can't pluck the log out of your own, you're a hypocrite. And again, it's not stuff I always want to hear or I like to follow, but what I cannot deny is that he has my imagination. Most recently, the thing I've kind of come to realize that I, at this moment in my life, I like the most about Jesus or what kind of captures my imagination about him the most is and don't take this the wrong way, he's political. And I know, you may say to yourself, oh, come on, enough with the politics. And I get that. We are two months away from a national election. How much more energy can the world have filled with this decision being made and the, the rhetoric and all the talking that goes on with it? But here's the deal. If politics, if politics is people standing up and saying, I'm going to try and change your mind because I want the world to be a better place. Here and now matters. Jesus is the absolute most political animal you'll ever meet. 
because he does talk about here in this moment taking care of the vulnerable and what it takes for you to really be his follower not just for eternity but here and now in life he's political but he's probably one of the worst politicians by our standards that you'll ever be too on one hand you could love him because he's not politically correct says things to that woman like you're a dog and we'll get there and we'll try to understand it again he punches up you ever heard the phrase punching up it means you kind of look at the more powerful people in the world and you, that's where you kind of bring the energy you bring the attack pharisees and sadducees he is constantly punching up and he is not politically correct but he's also not cruel He's not politically correct, but he's also not a cruel person. He doesn't give himself permission in the idea of not being politically correct to treat people horribly. And that woman about the dog, when we get there, understand he won't treat her badly. He will always grab my imagination because he's one of the most political animals I've ever met. And yet he does his politics totally different than anyone else you'll ever meet. So you get the difference? There's things I think I know about this. We're being asked to let that go, to let our minds be renewed. But what you're not being asked to do is deny. You're being asked to finally meet him for real again. To recognize, hopefully you're like me, you can recognize that your imagination will not be anything other than controlled by him. Forget the God you do not believe in and meet the God who believes in you. That's part of the prayer, too, that comes in this. You may hear that, the God who believes in you and think that I've just turned Jesus into some sort of self-help guru. Right? He's just there to make you feel good about yourself. Come on, that's not what believing in someone is. Not if you really care about believing in somebody. Here's the example. God gave me this yesterday. I was here recording, and I had to go to my car for something, and I walked outside, and I got the perfect example of what believing in us means. Right out there, there was a little girl who was probably one years old. Right? And there's a crowd of people that she must be from who have parked in the church parking lot. But she is running towards that neighbor right there across the road who's got all the flowers. Very beautiful. He didn't notice them. He's got elaborate flower garden going on. This one-year-old, uh, I think she's one, she can walk, she can't really talk so much, but she's running, and she's heading towards those flowers, and mom goes and grabs her and picks her up, and you can imagine the next thing that happens is she starts screaming her head off, right? Meanwhile, the rest of the people out in the parking lot are going, oh, what's wrong, what's wrong? And mom goes, she wants to pick the flowers, and I had to say no. And I went, that's what it means when we say that God believes in us. Because if you've ever had kids or you've ever been a teacher or a mentor or anything like that where you've been invested with that responsibility of believing in someone else, you know that there's going to be so many moments when you delight in that. Like you just think they're adorable and cute when you want to go, oh, to their boo-boos. 
there's going to be moments when you're sitting at the band concert and it's junior high and it, uh, it's not so great, but you still go, good job, good job, good job, because you believe in them and you want them to succeed and they're on their way. And there are moments when you believe in them, when you go, what you're doing is not cute anymore. Stop. Jesus will have my imagination, and I'm guessing from the other times that I've gone and I've met him in these scriptures that you're going to meet the guy who believes in you in that whole way. That somebody who's been tasked with caring about others for real cares about them. From the delighting in them to to crying with them over the boo-boos to cheering them on even when they're sort of an embarrassment to even the moments when you go, it's not cute anymore, stop. He believes in us. And that prayer and this moment when we repent and we turn around and we get a chance to start new holds that promise. We let go of all our old ideas and what we get is to actually meet the Jesus who believes in us. Again, forget the God you do not believe in and meet the God who believes in you. Today, we finally get to meet him. Fulfill all righteousness. The one thing about meeting him, too, and here's the other thing you won't be able to deny, is what happens at the end of this passage. John doesn't want to baptize him. He himself needs to get his imagination recaptured by the actual Jesus if he doesn't think Jesus needs to be baptized. But Jesus gets baptized. He says, fulfill all righteousness. And then at the end of that baptism, what happens? The heavens open up, and the word is alighted. I don't use that word much. I've never used that word. It's just there. But the idea is that somehow the Spirit of God alighted his head, and the dove is there. And the voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. When you meet Jesus, what you will not also be able to deny is that God and Jesus somehow are together. Again, he's not just a self-help guru, and he's not just a parent, and he's not just a mentor, and he's not just a good guy that you can learn a lot of good lessons from. He's not just the greatest politician ever. He was the greatest politician ever, though, wasn't he? He completely changed the world. But what you won't be able to not to deny, because whether it's the voice from heaven saying it or Jesus himself claiming it, is when he teaches you, he also says, me and God somehow are this. I bring you a message that is not just the best political science you'll ever read. You are learning about the heart of God because you are meeting God. So forget the God you do not believe in and meet the God, the Jesus who believes in you. I'll close with this, just one more example of sort of that idea of why it's, it's okay to let go of the stuff you know and to meet him again for the first time. One of my play, favorite plays is Rent. It's this musical, rock, opera kind of thing, right? Uh, but there is a moment in Rent that is probably well, top five at least, if not my favorite moment in the entire play, there's a character named Gordon. 
actually, he's so minor in the play, nobody ever uses his name. I think you have to actually read the play to see you know, where it says his name, and then he gets his lines. But the guy named Gordon is at a support group. Uh, and it's for people who've been diagnosed with HIV and AIDS, because that's a lot of what the play is about, people with HIV and AIDS. And while Gordon sits in that circle, and he's being asked to sort of participate in the support group, and he's not so sure he wants to be there, this is what he says. So I find some of what you teach suspect, because I'm used to relying on intellect. But I try to open up to what I don't know, because reason says I should have died three years ago. That, that line is always really profound to me, that somebody who recognizes he might know some stuff about life and death and have been very comfortable in that, finally realizes there's more to it than living and dying, and you can still be incredibly suspect of letting go of what you know. But why are you still here? When I was probably four or five years old, uh, I, we had a neighbor who, he was a high school age guy named Craig. And Craig had a snowmobiler and a great big sled he put on the end of that snowmobiler. And he had nieces and nephews who were also my age. And so five or six of us, a uh, snowy winter afternoon, would climb on the back of that sled. And we lived across the street from this gigantic church parking lot. So he would take his snowmobile on the sled and pile us on there. And we'd, you know, start getting whipped around for fun on a Sunday afternoon or a Saturday afternoon in the church parking lot on a snowy, snowy day. But what Craig wasn't paying attention to, or the rest of us, because we were little, uh, was that that great big church with its great big parking lot owned its own bus. And that bus was parked in the church parking lot uh, on those snowy days. And so as we're getting whipped around this one particular day, I'm on the very end of the sled. And I can honestly say, thank you, God, for centripetal force, right, where you get whipped around and it kind of pulls you away from the center because I'm on the back of that sled, but there's so much whipping around, I can't sit up. I'm laying down on the sled and laughing my head off, having the best time ever, until he whipped that sled around one time and it went under the bus. And I can tell you guys, thank God for centrifugal force, or I would not be here. It's okay to be suspect, suspect about the things that you're being taught, but the value of opening up to things you don't know, because why am I still here? If it wasn't for centrifugal force, I wouldn't be here. And it's not the same context as Gordon and HIV and AIDS, but I should have died 35 years ago. So forget the God you do not believe in. And meet the God who believes in you. Because the one who believes in you still has you here for something. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you again for sending Jesus into the world. Excite our hearts and give us motivation to lay aside everything we think we know and to follow you, listen to you, to let our imaginations be captured by you and once again have you who believes in us teach us why we're here. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. With that, let's uh, sing our last hymn this morning, Fairest Lord Jesus. Thank you.